Hi everyone and welcome to the second of a two-part series by Miyagi in collaboration with Brian Hume, Managing Director of Martech International. For those that are joining us for the first time, Martech International are a specialist consulting firm that provide a host of services to companies in the retail industry and also to companies that sell to retailers. I'd recommend that if this is the first time you're joining us, you begin by listening to session one, understanding the retail buying process, which you can receive by emailing edu at miyagi.com. That's edu at miyagi.com. And Brian, welcome back. It's great to have you with us again. Uh, and can you tell us a bit about what this session is going to cover? Hi, thanks, Sam. And um, welcome to everyone who's uh, listening today. So it's nice to be here again. In this session, I'll start by explaining the smart way to invest in store associate training, give you some input on how to justify the cost and how to get the most from your training investment at the least possible risk to your business. So in detail, we'll look at how much retailers invest in training. We'll look at the topics that they train on. We'll consider how to justify the investment with sound financial analysis. And I'll take you through how you can make a financially based business case for justifying the investment. We'll give you some tips on how to do it the most effective way. And also we'll conclude with a summary of why brands and manufacturers should support retailers in their efforts to provide things like product training. So that's our outline program for the session. Perfect. And what takeaways can our listeners hope to learn from the important points that you mentioned there, Brian? At the end of the session, I expect that you, the listener, will be able to use this information, firstly, to review your current training spend and see if you're focusing it on the training activities that will give you the best possible return. We'll consider the impact of increasing your training investment on your company's trading performance. We'll look at ways of testing deploying increased training without going all in. In other words, we'll look at ways that you can evolve into this in a managed and low risk way. And we'll position it so that the suppliers who work with you in your business can also see the value that you gain from the training and also the value that they will gain from it and will potentially uh, work with you more in order to achieve the desired outcome. Perfect. Well, let's uh, let's dive in then, shall we? So first of all, let's look at how much retailers do spend on training. According to a survey by a US company, Retail Systems Research, 50% of retailers plan to spend 11 to 30 hours per person per year on staff training. 50% of retailers plan to spend 10 hours or less. And in practice, they found that 60% actually deliver less than 10 hours a year. If you think about that, that's one hour for every five weeks of service, which is really a, a minute amount of training to provide to people that are your primary and major interface to your end consumer. We had a conversation with a senior vice president of a very large mass retailer, and he told us that his goal was to get training costs down to $26 US per new hire. The $26 excludes the payroll cost. That's the actual cost of the training delivery. By contrast, an HR executive at a very well-known, very large US department store chain told us that they spend a little under $260 per employee per year providing training. That's obviously a lot better than the previous example and gives you a real chance that you can do some effective training with your employees so that when customers come in the store, they get really good customer service. And there is at least some hope that this will get better in future 
for two reasons. One is the advent of omni-channel retail. Consumers are coming into stores more often with things like their smartphone, able to access the Internet in the store, do price comparisons, do uh, look at competitors' websites and that kind of thing. And because of their experience on the web, they're expecting a higher service level from the employees in the store. That's building pressure on retailers to do more. At Miyagi, we've certainly seen the emphasis on the customer experience ramp up massively within the board and management teams of our clients and and the businesses that we talk to. Great. In the UK, there's a specific situation where the UK government has introduced an apprenticeship levy on all businesses. You can use some of that apprenticeship levy that you pay to the government in order to fund some of your training and staff development. So there is some hope that this may get better over time. The consequence of all of this is that retailers, depending on which country you're in and depending on the state of the economy at a particular point in time, experience associate turnover in their stores of between 40 and 75 percent a year. To say that another way, roughly half your entire store base of employees leaves every year and you have this constant churn of dehiring people, recruiting new people, training them and getting up to speed. Those costs are very much higher because of the rate of that churn. And there is good evidence to show that those retailers that invest more money in training actually experience a lower churn. And a little bit later in this session, we'll look at some of the financial benefits that flow from that. One other thing just to point out in this process is that although 40 to 75 percent of your staff leave in a year, When you drill down on the statistics in most of those companies, in practice, half of that entire year's worth of churn occurs in the first three months. So you experience a very disproportionately high attrition rate in every individual's first three months of employment because people decide for various reasons that retail is not for them, which gives you a bit of a clue about how you can spend your money more wisely. And we'll touch on that a bit more as we go through the session. Now, it's not all gloom and doom. There are some retailers that recognize the value of training. And a good example is Nordstrom, the U.S. department store. If you've ever shopped in a Nordstrom store, you'll know from the experience that they actually do invest in training their employees. So they train their employees, but they then expect those employees to rise to those standards. And the way that you'll notice the difference is if you go into Nordstrom and you make a purchase, for example, The sales associate will will take your purchase, will um, wrap it for you or put it in a bag. Then they'll step out from behind the counter to hand you the bag and they will shake hands with you. And thank you for coming in the store. They have a whole host of these little steps that they take just to make the experience of shopping in Nordstrom better. The company is religious about training all of their sales associates to follow the Nordstrom model of customer service. So they're a good example, probably one of the best examples in the world of retailers that do this well. You often see serious investments in training when retailers invest in new technology systems. So if they're going to implement new point of sale systems in the store or new merchandise management systems at headquarters, usually the IT function that plans all the um, CapEx side of the project will build in the training budget and the change management budget as part of the overall project. It comes as part of the project budget rather than as a separate training budget. So there are occasions when the retailers do invest real money in training and they see the benefit of that. So hopefully that will encourage them to build on that experience as they go forward. 
So let's look at what retailers do train on. Well, clearly, um, the first one is onboarding and induction, getting people up to speed when they join, understanding the company, understanding the company's marketplace, the mission, um, how the company likes its customers to be looked after and that kind of thing. If you're going to be on the sales floor, at least a good percentage of the staff need to be able to operate the cash registers efficiently and in compliance with all of the company's policies and procedures. So register operation is an obvious one. Health and safety is an important one for, uh, for both the health and safety of employees and also customers. There's a lot around compliance. There are regulatory things about pricing, those kinds of things. So a whole lot of compliance type things. Then there's company policies and processes on things like, for example, returns. We talked about systems training. All of these are kind of bread and butter training things that people do. A good number of companies do customer service training, but it's often relatively basic. And there are a lot of companies who don't actually do it. Those companies that sell complex products like the electrical retailers that sell sophisticated televisions, the telco companies that sell mobile phones and that kind of thing. A lot of those people provide product training for their employees, which is very important in having a successful sales operation for them. And, um, and actually, in truth, a lot more retailers can benefit from providing product training. There's quite a lot of research that you can find when you search the Internet on case studies that people have done where they've said, let's look at training our sales colleagues in the stores and let's see what kind of impact that makes. So Marshall Fisher, who's a professor at the University of Pennsylvania, founded that sales by knowledgeable and engaged store sales colleagues, those colleagues brought in on average 69 percent more sales than those people who weren't properly trained um, and weren't properly engaged in the in the sales process. Sixty nine percent more money. That's dramatic. A study at Dillard's department store also concluded that sales by trained sales associates were at least 23 percent higher than those that hadn't been adequately trained. What I call high touch retailers, those that work for companies where there's a high level of sales associate to customer ratio, where there's a high level of store associate involved in helping the customer select the right product and purchase the right product. Those companies who train their staff in things like assisted selling solutions often see sales increases of 7 to 14 percent. And you particularly notice the sales get into those bigger numbers in years two and three. You train people in year one. You see a sales increase in year one. By year two, as people are getting more and more skilled, you're up in the seven to 10 percent number. By year three, when they've had a lot of practice, you're up in the 14 percent number. Quite a lot of those people are in segments where they pay commission. And of course, those people stay longer because as they get better at the job and they're achieving those higher volume uh, sales levels, they're, of course, making higher commissions. The UK shirt retailer, men's shirt retailer TM Lewin, trained its store staff in how to sell shirts via tablets when the, the local store was out of stock of particular sizes and colours. And through a combination of the application and training the staff to use it properly and sell effectively, they increased their overall chain sales by 10 percent in the first year. So there's a lot of examples you can find where people have invested wisely in training and they've achieved a significant impact because of it.
But now let's move on and we'll talk about how you build the business case to justify the cost. And the first thing I'd like to do is if you haven't seen it before, I'd like to introduce you to this model. And this model has been well understood in retail for over 50 years. And it says basically that sales is a combination of people that come into the store multiplied that percentage of those people who make a purchase multiplied by the average size of their transaction. So there are three ways that you can build sales. You can get more people to come in. Of the people that do come in, you get a bigger share to actually buy something. And of those people who buy something, you increase the size of their transaction. So it's a three-step process to increase your sales. Just to take a couple of examples, uh, excellent customer service spreads rapidly by word of mouth. So if the associates you've got give good customer service to the people that come in the store, they tell all their friends, that encourages more people to come in, and that helps build traffic into the store. Being trained in things like fixture merchandising can make the product look more appealing on the shelf or on the hanger, make it easier for consumers to find what they're looking for and make it more appealing to buy. So there's a whole series of things that you can do to encourage more people to come in, to get a bigger percentage to buy something and to increase the size of the transaction. So let's get into some numbers. I'll start with a simple case. Let's suppose we have a retailer with sales of 100. The cost of goods sold in this hypothetical example is 50 or 50 percent. Cost of goods is what the retailer pays for the merchandise they sell to the consumer. Sales minor cost of goods gives me my gross profit or my gross margin. I'll try and talk about gross profit when we mean money and gross margin when we mean percent. But if you've got sales of 100 and cost of goods sold of 50, you've got a gross profit of 50. If your expenses to then make those sales, so that's things like the cost of your store associates, the cost of the store, the heat, the light, the rates, the rent and all those kinds of things. If they all come to about 45 percent in total, you've got a profit before tax of about 5 percent. In practice in retail, some of the supermarkets and grocery stores that are more self-service, they're in the sort of 3% range. Some of the high touch stores are more in the 7%, 8%, range. So 5% is not a bad um, middle of the range number number to work with. So I've got if I've got sales of 100, cost of goods of 50, expenses of 45, I've got a profit before tax of 50. If I then say I can grow sales by providing more effective training to the colleagues in the stores, if I can grow sales by just 8% over a period of time, instead of the door store doing sales of 100 after the training, it will do sales of 108. My cost of goods is really 50%. So with sales of 108, my cost of goods becomes 54. 108 of sales minus cost of goods of 54 gives me a gross profit of 54. So that's also up 8%. So sales went up 8%. Cost of goods went up 8%. Gross profit went up 8%. But my expenses, by and large, did not change. So my expenses are still what they were before, which was 45. So my new profit before tax is 9. OK, and 9 now against 5 before. That 8% sales increase has given me an 80, 80 
increase in pre-tax profit. So there's a tremendous leverage effect. Now, you can quite legitimately say, yeah, but suppose I don't get 8%, Brian. Well, guess what? If you only get a 4% sales increase and you work it through, you still get a very significant increase in profit before tax. The, the key point is that relatively small increases in sales in percentage terms have very big increases in profit before tax in percentage terms. So in this case, an 8% sales increase would give you an 8-0, 80%, a 10 to 1 ratio in the increase in pre-tax profit. So this is the foundation of the business case. By providing the right customer service training to all of my employees in the store, I can gradually boost sales. And as you saw from the previous slides, you know, I could get those sales up by 7 to 14% in some examples. And in some examples, it even went as high as 69% on selected individuals. So this is the foundation of the business case. But it goes a step further. In my first scenario, sales increased 8% and everything else stayed the same. Now, the sharp ones amongst you will have said they didn't quite stay the same, Brian, because the thing you didn't account for is your expenses will go up very slightly to pay for the training. And the answer is, yes, they will. They will go up very slightly, but you can work the numbers out you'll see that the cost of the training makes relatively a rounding error of difference in the end result. But the other thing about this is when you sell 8% more products, typically you sold the product faster because you bought a quantity of product. And instead of selling 100, you sold 108 in that period of time. You sold it faster. And the net impact of selling it faster is that you don't need to spend quite as much on promotional markdown, promotional discount. And depending on the business you're in, you don't need to spend quite as much on clearance markdown. So the other side of this coin is not only do you sell more, but your gross margin percent is actually a bit higher. So instead of making a 50 percent achieved gross margin on those sales, you might well make a 51 percent achieved gross margin on those sales. And the net effect to that when you work it through is on sales of 108, you now make a pre-tax profit of 10. In other words, you've now got a 100% increase. So you've got an 80% increase by growing the sales, but you've got an additional 10% to add to that because of the improvement you get in gross margin. But it doesn't stop there. All the evidence shows that staff that receive proper training stay longer. So your recruitment costs go down. I've got one client who should remain nameless. They're in the home improvement business. They have 12 full time employees just recruiting people to staff their stores. If they can slow the turnover by investing in training, they could cut those 12 employees in recruitment maybe down to something like eight in their particular case. So maybe they could save a third on their recruitment costs if they can improve employees longevity because of better training. So you can actually measure how much your recruitment might improve as you change your staff, as your staff turnover gets better. And you can factor that into your cost benefit analysis. Also, your costs 
to terminate employees goes down. When I say terminate, I don't mean sack people. When people resign and leave you, there are a set of things you need to do to terminate their employment. You've got to generate all the right tax documentation, that kind of thing. There are costs associated with that. And when you dehire fewer people every year, those costs go down and you can measure those too. Now, also, Customer service errors go down. That's much more tricky to measure, but there is a bonus there because customer service errors go down, which means customers have a better experience and they share that experience with their friends and that encourages more traffic and you get a virtuous circle. Complaints also go down and that makes people feel better about the store and the brand. So that creates more of a a virtuous circle. The way you can build the business case and you can quantify most of this by doing a little bit of homework in your own business and build up a business case that says you can easily cost justify the investment in training. But if you're in retail like me, you know that the retail world is still full of cynics. I'm sorry to say that, but it's true. As you know, and I know, the retail world is still full of cynics. So if you've got people in your organization that don't believe that the business case is solid and that you'll get that return, There is a fantastic thing about retail because it's comprised of a large number of stores. Anything that is intended to impact store performance can be pilot tested at very low cost in just a small number of stores. So if you're having problems justifying your budget to provide better training to your store associates and people like the numbers in the business case, but they don't quite believe it. The next step is. Do a pilot project. And if you want to be really safe, start in one store only. Pilot the training that you want to deliver in that one store. Initially, you can pilot it with an instructor and do instructor-led training because instructor-led training is cheaper to deploy initially than e-learning-based training. E-learning-based training is cheaper to deliver, especially when you roll it out across the chain, but it's a little more expensive to build it So start a pilot project. You can start it with an instructor with relatively uh, very small delivery costs and you can prove the thing in one store. Now, when you do this, it's always important to pick a group of control stores. So if you're starting with one store as your pilot store, you need a control store. If you're starting with five stores as a pilot, you need five control stores. And the point about the control stores is you do nothing in the control stores. You don't give them any training that they wouldn't get as routine. And you provide the training to your pilot group. And then you compare the sales performance between the two. You can prove it was the training that made the difference. So, for example, um, if sales in your control group went up 3% and sales in your pilot group went up 8%, you can legitimately say the 5% extra That was the return on the training. Now, when you select a control group, there are some important things to note. First of all, they've got to be directly comparable with your pilot group. So they need to be the same size. They need to get the same product range. They need to have the same competitive lineup. If stores in your pilot group have got a competitive store within 400 meters, your control group needs a competitive store within 400 meters. In other words, you make the control group characteristic of the pilot group, except you don't do anything with the pilot group. And you especially do not tell the control group that they're in a control group. You just monitor them silently from a distance. But you then look at the improvement you get in the pilot group 
You compare that with any change in the control group and the difference between the two is the benefit. A way of expressing that is you can prove it was the training that made the difference rather than the last six weeks of sunshine. Once you've done it for, let's say, five stores and you're happy it works in five stores, go and do it for 20. When you've done it for 20, do 50 or 100. Now, as you go through that process, there's a point when you say, now let's build it in e-learning. Ideally, you want to get this into e-learning as soon as it economically makes sense. So just keep growing the size of your pilot group until you've got enough substance to the benefit justification that your potentially cynical colleagues get convinced. And then you can start planning the rollout. A couple of things to say. Once you've got it in e-learning, no one has to wait for a class. You can deploy the e-learning chain to them as an individual. Immediately they join the company. They can take the training and they can start becoming effective and making a contribution almost immediately. Rather than saying to, to send an instructor to a store, I need to wait till there's three people to train. And you don't need to do that in an e-learning world. Every individual can start the day they join. In fact, the really keen ones could actually start taking the training from home before they even join you. And look out for those people because they've got motivation. When you deploy uh, the training, manage the delivery of it and the execution of it through a learning management system. Using a learning management system, you can track how people went through the training you can get them to do online tests to make sure that they've absorbed the knowledge. You can track the test scores and you can measure the correlation between the test scores and the sales increases that those stores achieve as their store staff get trained. So a learning management system provides you with the infrastructure to manage it, but it also provides you with a lot of the base data that helps you build substance into the business case. And then the last thing to say is you can actually get into this very cost effectively by avoiding purchasing learning management systems that you need to install in house. In other words, you can avoid all the CapEx expense and go uh, use a uh, software as a service based operation or a subscription based operation where you're paying a monthly charge based on the usage you make of the system. So it starts small when you've only got a couple of pilot stores and it grows as you roll it out across more stores. And then you don't have to go to anybody for a big upfront investment to get started. So start with a pilot project if you need to show by demonstrating in one, two, three, four, five stores that this is delivering benefit. Grow the size of the pilot as you go. Get the thing into an e-learning environment and a, a learning management system environment using a cloud service as fast as you possibly can. And that will help you keep managing the return that you make on the investment from that kind of deployment. Now, I also said earlier that this is good news for the brands, too. So for the brand or the manufacturer, every time the retailer sales go up, the share of that sales, which is products under your brand, when they go up, your sales and your gross margin dollars go up, too. If the retailer wins, you win. Brands and manufacturers spend a very significant amount of money on trade promotion. And all the surveys show the FMCG and the CPG companies spend somewhere between 15 and 28 percent of their sales on trade promotion funds, which is money they invest in retailers in order to drive the sales and marketing goals for the brand. Now, 
If you deployed a small amount of that money into pilot projects with retailers that are going down this uh, path of doing pilot projects to justify a, a bigger investment and a bigger rollout, help make the business case for the retailer that the training drives bigger sales. In turn, it drives bigger sales for you. And as the retailers decide to roll that out chain wide, you know that you can focus the trade promotion money that you spend with that retailer. Or let me put it this way. You know that what share of your trade promotion funds you're prepared to devote to that retailer, you can justify potentially devoting a bigger share because you know that they'll do a better job of achieving your brand goals for you. So work with the retailers to provide the product training to the sales associates to help both sides get a win-win. And then when it's clear that it works, you can use the fact that you've done this as part of your negotiation with your retail buyers so that you can justify helping to get better shelf positions without paying things like slotting allowances. And so that the retailers can maintain their sales success while at the same time you maintain your margin. I hope I've made the case to say that there are a lot of benefits in retailers doing this. There are equally benefits for the brands and the manufacturers in doing this. So at that point, uh, I'd like to thank you for your attention and I'll hand you back to Sam. Brilliant. Well, thanks for that, Brian. That was very thorough. Um, So just to recap for a, a moment. First up, you can make a basic or complex appraisal of your current spend on training based on financial results. Is that what we're saying? Yes, absolutely. And you can make the analysis as detailed or as complex as required. Do the calculations, show the people that you need to go to to justify the investment, show them how you did the calculations. And what I often do is a little bit of a sales trick. I say, well, I tell you what, if you don't like my numbers, why don't you plug your growth assumptions in and let's see how it works? Invariably, even if they cut your numbers back and come with a slightly more pessimistic view, nine times out of 10, it still makes the case anyway. Perfect. So when considering the impact of increasing training on performance, then the the numbers are crucial then. Absolutely. And you can test new models and and avoid going all in on things. And and this is the really important point. The beauty of retail is you can test new ways of doing things, new approaches and so on in a small number of stores initially. If it does go pear shaped, if you've got it all wrong, you've only done the damage in one, two, three, four or five stores. It's not the end of the world. But in practice, You'll go into one or two, three stores. You'll watch it like a hawk. Within hours, if not days, you'll know that it needs tweaking. You'll tune it on the go and then you'll get it right in a very small number of stores. And then you can roll it out to a large number of stores with a great deal of confidence. And what about involving suppliers in this? I think that's very important because they've got every interest in increasing the retailer sales performance because if sales of their brand go up 20% in the retailer stores, the retailer buys 20% more product from them. So they've got a really vested interest in doing what they can do to make it work. Invariably, the brands and the manufacturers know much more about what content should be in the product training to make sure that their brand stands out versus competitive brands. So they're a great source of input and If they're careful about deploying only modest amounts of their trade promotion funds, they can actually see the um, financial cost of the training to create a win-win for both parties. Well, thanks very much for for all of that, Ryan, and thanks for everyone for taking the the time to listen. Um, I think it it was very insightful and and good to get an idea of how to go about um, sort of modelling up the, the costs of training. Okay, and I'd like to thank everybody for their attention. And if you have any questions as you start looking at this in more detail, Uh, both my Aggie and Martek very happy to take questions from you 
uh, and we'll both do our best to give you a good, solid answer. If you'd like to learn more, then you can visit miyagi.com forward slash martech. And if you've got any questions, then you can send them to edu at miyagi.com. That's edu at miyagi.com. Um, if you found this interesting, then please keep an eye on your inbox for our monthly insights into retail. Uh, and I'm sure that uh, I'll be back speaking with you very soon. Thanks, everybody.